Welcome to the final session of the day. Chairing this session is Rodney Breen. If you're on Twitter, you'll know him as FOI Ireland. Uh, Rodney was a former Freedom of Information Officer in Scotland. Scotland and Scotland England. England. Ray Mitchell with DHSC and uh, Richard Dowling from RT. And just to hand over to, uh, to Rodney. And thank you all for coming today, making this event a success. Thank you. And so there's a pair of glasses which have been handed in, which were found out there somewhere. So if anybody's missing their glasses, I should imagine you'd, you'd notice that. But anyway, um, I'm going to put them there. And if you hear of anything, there they are. Um, I'm going to leave. Um, I'm going to be swapping between my glasses from time to time. I'm going to leave Richard and Ray really to introduce, tell you more about themselves in the course <coughs> of this meeting. I'm going to very briefly just talk about my experience, because I was asked to talk about the experience of being an FOI officer. Um, you'll have lots of people who can tell you about the experience of trying to find information out. Um, I've been on the other side for a few years. I've worked uh, in the University of Aberdeen um, for a couple of years, fending off people's in inquiries. Um, so I'm going to try and give you a little bit of a perspective of what it feels like on the other side. Um, I have to say that as an FOI officer, you, you, you kind of tend to be pulled three different ways. On the one hand, you've got a professional job to do and you want to do it. My experience, and this might not be what other people would, would find, is that people who do FOI genuinely actually want to give information out to people uh, because that's what your job is and that's what, what you're trying to do. On the other hand, you also um, belong to an organisation that for very good reasons probably doesn't want you to find out about things. Um, and they're going to be people you're working with on a day-to-day on -day basis. So um, you're conscious of the fact that they're, they're the people who are going to influence you just as much as, as, as the people who are asking for information. Um, and thirdly, you're working with people who are actually going to have to do the work. Um, even if the organization says, fine, yes, produce that information, it's great. You're going to have to go to one of your colleagues and say, well, actually, you're not going to have to do anything for the next two days that you were planning to do you're going to have to spend two or three days opening boxes, taking out files, photocopying documents, getting a big black chunky marker and, and putting the, uh, a mark to the name of anything that looks like somebody's name. Um, and given that your colleagues are probably hard-pressed or hard-working, um, they're not going to like to hear that. And so you're going to try and spare them the, the work if you possibly can. So, so meeting those three things is, is kind of difficult. But I will say that, as I say, most FOI officers I know genuinely support the principle of FOI. Um, their experience might not be, um, might, might put them off that a little bit, but, but generally we do actually want to help you. The, uh, the one thing I will say, um, if you want to inquire out of information, um, is, is try and be polite. Um, I've, I've known some of my colleagues have complained about some people, certainly some people to ring them up um, wanting information. Um, and finding that's difficult. If you do get information from people, one thing that almost never happens is nobody ever says thank you. Yeah. Um, and it takes 10 seconds to say, thanks for taking the time to find that. Thank you. Please pass on to your colleagues, thank you, or something like that, you know, yeah, yeah. for actually taking the time to do it. Um, and that's, that's important not just because, well, it's polite and you should be polite, um, but because the, the FOI officer's job, the, the, the law, um, and the requirements of journalism don't always coincide. Um, if, you, if you ask me for information, I've got 20 days to give you that information. It doesn't matter what your deadline is. 
I've got 20 days, and if it's going to take me 20 days, that's how long I'm going to take about it. And I might put it off to the end. And especially if that man has been rude to me on the phone, I might very well take that long. Um, and, and I also might do, I also might publish the information on the website as part of a disclosure log. All the stuff you've been working away with secretly for ages suddenly goes up on the website and everybody can see them. So uh, it's, a, it's a good idea to be polite. Because after all, you know, you want us, you want us to help you and, and we want to help you as well. So it helps to build that relationship. Patience is the other thing you're going to have. My experience is with the, the, mainly with the UK FOI Act where you can ask anything for free. Um, and you can appeal for free. Um, now with the new FOI Act, you've got, you can ask for information for free. Now they've taken away the, the fee for doing that. So that means you can actually ask two or three, three questions. And sometimes you need to do that because the response to one question is going to provide you with information that'll, that'll um, lead you to more. Or you can ask a kind of scoping question that'll lead you to, to know where to look next. You've also, I noticed that there's the, the new Act says you can have five hours free where you don't have to pay for search and retrieval um, and copying, which is a good thing. Um, and if the search and retrieval fees go up to 500 euro, there's, there's a cap. You, you can't be charged more than 500 euro. Um, both of these things strike me as rather interesting because I don't know how well they've thought this through from my experience. First of all, there's, there's no rule, as far as I can see, that says you have to give your actual name, your actual real name. Um, in the UK, you do have to, although it's not actually written into the law. So presumably, if you have a 10-hour search, um, you could do it under two different names. I don't know. I'm not suggesting anybody should do that. <laughs> I'm just saying that it could happen. Um, we're inventive anyway. Sorry? We're, we're always inventive. Well, there you go. Well, exactly. You're going to have to be inventive in these things. Um, there's also... Um, the, the, and I presume, again, if you're, if you're going to ask a question that's going to cost you 500 euro... You can ask, ask for more information. You can ask for as much as you like if it's going to go, if you're not going to be charged more than 500 euro. There is a, a, a rule that says if the, if the request would cause a substantial and unreasonable interference with work, it can be refused. But I don't know if that's ever been tested as to exactly how much that is. There's, there's no, as I said, there's no aggregation in, in the UK Act. There's a specific thing about aggregation so that if you actually do divide a request into two requests to get around problems, um, the, the FOI officer is allowed to jump, join those together, but that doesn't seem to be anything in the FOI Act. So um, that's going to be interesting to find out how that works. The other thing is, if whatever you're going to ask about, the more you know about it, the better. Um, it's really annoying when you're working in a Scottish university to be asked how much the, um, the vice-chancellor gets paid by some London-based journalist. Scottish universities don't have vice-chancellors. Well, actually, they don't have paid vice-chancellors. We, we do have... The, the principal, who is actually the person in charge of the university, is nominally a vice-chancellor, but he doesn't get paid for that. And one of my colleagues did suggest in that case we should actually say he does works for free, um, but we didn't. So um, try and get the terminology right, because that's really going to annoy us if you don't get that right. And you don't want to annoy us. Um, and, and also find out more about, about what it is you're asking about. Again, people will ask you in a university, they'll say how many students there are and how many staff there are. Well, what do you mean? There is, we, have, we have undergraduate students, we have postgraduate students. People ask you how many first-class degrees there are. Postgraduate degrees don't have first-class things, and some medical ones don't. Um, how many staff is a simple question, but no, it isn't, because we've got a lot of part-time staff. Do you want a headcount of staff, or do you want, um, want full-time equivalents? We can provide you with all of this information, but you need to know what it is you're asking. 
So, you know, if you're going to do an FOI request, I would always say, try and find out as much as you know. Do your research before you do, because that way you'll, you'll get much more information out. The more, the, the more clear your question is, the more precise it is, the better the quality of the response you'll get. Um, and I've spent many times looking at inquiries and thinking, this person's asking completely the wrong question. Sometimes that was a lucky thing. I mean, I remember getting asked, getting asked um, whether the principal of Aberdeen University had ever taken a, a taxi to London. Um, and I replied, no, of course not. They didn't ask if he'd ever taken a taxi from London, uh, which is just as well. <laughs> which is just as well. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, and sometimes I've read questions and I really wanted to ring the person up and say, no, no, you want to ask about the previous six months. But of course, that would be unethical. You do know all these questions are on the way now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not an FOSR anymore, so I'm not too bothered about there's, there's, there's lots of, and there's other things. I mean, if you really want to ask you for your questions, there's, you can ask a meta request. You can actually ask for information and, and then follow that up with another inquiry, which, um, which says, can you provide me with all the documentation concerning my inquiry, which might actually produce more results if you have emails going to and fro saying this idiot is asking questions we don't want to know. I'm not suggesting again that you would do that. I'm just saying theoretically it could be. You also, I mean, again, you, it helps if you're a bit creative. Um, one of the things under the new FOI Act is that you can ask questions of the Gardaí Accorda for the first time, but you can only ask about administrative records relating to human resources or finance or procurement matters, which isn't very much, really, if you think about it. But I guess if you're creative, you can probably get a lot more information than you might think. I was, I was reading somewhere that back in, in 1983, the Allied intelligence was trying to estimate the monthly production of German tanks. Now, obviously, that was information which the German government didn't produce under FOI or any other thing. So what they did was they, they analysed the serial numbers of captured tanks. And using that information and a little bit of statistical analysis, they were able to come up with a remarkably accurate estimate of how many tanks there were. So if you can, you know, if you can actually find different ways of finding out information, it's actually amazing what you can find out. So, so I would say be creative. Everything you do creates an administrative footprint of some type or other. So um, if you're going to look for administrative records, I think it would be amazing what you can actually find out. So think about it. You know, think about what you can find. One really interesting inquiry I saw a few months back. Um, somebody wrote to a, a, a local authority in the UK asking for lines to take. Lines to take is what press officers produce if they think there's going to be um, questions from from the press about something, and they have a prepared statement ready, which hopefully they won't get asked. So this guy actually asked for copies of all the lines to take that this authority, and there were quite a few things that never come up, and, and it was very interesting to see what the authority was, was afraid they would be asked about. I don't think there was anything really deeply disturbing in there, but it was interesting. So anyway, politely <coughs> be patient and be persistent. Again, I got asked loads of questions, and, and the organization would say, no, we can't tell them that. And I'd say, well, we should tell them that, because, because really, probably the information commissioner would back it up. And they said, well, let's just see. And so many times I'd be sitting there and say, I hope that person comes back and asks and appeals. And so often they didn't, and it's kind of frustrating. It's also, by the way, enormously frustrating when you spend hours and hours and hours getting information out of people and nothing happens, it disappears. You know, you want it to be a newspaper story because at least it shows you put the effort in. You know, then why exactly were they asking for that? I don't know, but it doesn't happen. Those sort of fishing expeditions can get very frustrating. So if you do find information, publish it somewhere. The most useful thing, if you, 
if you have information, if you get refused, if the refusal doesn't sound genuine to you, then appeal. Um, it's going to cost you money in Ireland. It won't do in Northern Ireland. You will get the information eventually. Unfortunately, in Ireland, it's going to take you two, three, sometimes four years to get the information, which is equivalent to not having it anyway. Um, but you should certainly persist and try and get it if you, you know, insist on your rights. Because, because working from my position, that so often you think, well, let's just see if they come back. Um, and that shouldn't be how it works. So I would say persist. Keep asking and, and, and insist on getting your rights. That's, that's my experience, anyway, of, of FOI. So um, you, can, you can make of it what you will. I'm going to turn it over to the others here, who is going to tell you about their experience. Um, you can see others, both in the order particular. Should we go first, Richard? OK. OK, Grant. My name is Richard Dowling. I'm the Northeast correspondent for RTE. I um, also just finished um, morning around for stint editing that, and I'm now acting news editor in Dublin. One of my passions is in freedom of information. I've been using it since it came in. The first act was brought in, it was signed in 97, but actually became law in 98. What I'm going to talk about briefly is how to use FOI. Talk briefly about uh, international FOI, and a bit then about um, the, um, the 2014 act, the act that's, new, that's just come in. First of all, like, what is, it's basically what you're getting information from the state. Most of the laws, actually all the laws, will tell you what you can and what you can't do. This actually empowers journalists and citizens to give them the right to ask information from various parts of the, of the state, whatever department, civil service, local authority. Technically, what it really is, it's not a, a freedom of information per se, it's a freedom of record. Information that somebody has in their head is not FOIable something that's not committed somewhere to uh, a document, electronic or paper, is not FOIable. What is FOIable is, if it's paper, electronic, or if it's stored on a device, be it a hard drive, be it a, a CD, whatever, that is FOIable. The first FOI Act was brought in in Sweden in 1766. It was over 200, was it 200 years before it came to the US, and 232 years before it came to Ireland, so we were in no great rush. Although. In fairness, back in at that time, there was a, a, a swing of uh, several countries taking up FOI, and Ireland was at the lead at that stage. And the original act was was quite decent, quite decent. The two thousand and three act uh, gutted it. Simply, the senior civil servants looked into their hearts, and like Deb, they decided what was good for the country and the politicians and the ministers, and so the act was gutted. Most of those have been. Uh, removed in the 2014 Act, but by no means all. There's a bit of spin going on about how great the new Act is, and it is good, it's an improvement, but it is not, to say, as to say in Irish water needs improvement. Um, <laughs> government departments, the HSE, local authorities, semi-state companies, uh, sorry, semi-state bodies mainly, they're all in varying degrees subject to freedom of information, but there's a huge swathes of uh, semi-state companies that are completely excluded, and I'll come to them in a sec. If you're looking to, to get information, what do you do? It's very straightforward. You simply contact the organisation. Now that there's no uh, upfront fee, it used to be a 15 euro upfront fee, which meant you had to put a cheque or a post order and put it in paper, generally. It now should be amenable, the organisation should be amenable to taking it uh, via email. I think in the UK uh, there you can, you can even uh, tweet an FOI request. Um, we're still back in 
the late 20th century. So you can you write an FOI request. Uh, often, if you go onto the, whatever organization, their website, uh, if you rummage around, there'll often be an FOI section. Now, that may just <coughs> list a disclosure log. Uh, some organizations have a disclosure log. And what that means is they put up the information that they have released under freedom of information to whoever, going back however far they, they want to go back. So you can email their freedom of information officer, and you must, you must, must, must state on your request is under the Freedom of Information Act. Right? If you don't put that in, then they can take the request as just a general query and ignore freedom of information. When you put freedom of information request in, certain processes click into place, and the law says this must happen, that must happen. So there's a process that's followed. If you don't put that request in, they're perfectly entitled to treat it as a general query from a general member of the public and ignore it or answer it whatever way they want. Check the body subject to FOI. Uh, again, that's on the website. Make the request. The issue that we raise up then is a question of whether it's a troll, uh, whether it's a fishing ex expedition, or if it's specific. It really depends on what you're after. If you know that there was a report drawn up on the 15th of March dealing with a particular topic, the best practice will be to put one request in looking for that report. But what you'll then miss is the documents that led up to that report and often crucially, the documents that came after that report, where somebody had a, a, had a fit over saying, how dare someone say this, or put this in paper, or suggest this whatsoever. It can never be released. So it's always good to, to be specific, but then to blur the edges a little bit, to make sure that you get the broader picture as possible. There is a, a suggestion, and there, there is a, it's not a requirement, but a Freedom of Information Officer can release documents if if they feel it gives a, a, a broader understanding of an issue. So say that report is issued and you want the extra documents, the officer could give them to you. It's very unlikely that they would. So the best thing is, if you're looking for something specific, name it, and a second request, blur the edges and look for documents associated with that. One FOI request, I think it was, I forget the organisation, it's a while ago now, but what actually happened is the FOI, when the reply came back, it was basically a refusal. Um, but they did release some documents, including an email from a boss to the FOI officer saying, thank God we didn't put this stuff on FOI or we'd have expletives uh, like <coughs> this guy looking for it. Th that shouldn't have been released. I suspect the FOI officer did it deliberately. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> when you put an FOI request in, put in your contact details as well as your email. If you're amenable to it, put in your mobile phone. Because often an FOI officer will come back and say, well, what exactly are you looking for here? And sometimes they say, okay, well, we can deal with this outside FOI, and that's perfectly, it's part of the act to say if they can deal with it outside of FOI, they will. And it might just be a matter of just releasing information. If somebody, I've had that happen to me a lot, but somebody comes back and says, well, we have that information, we can deal with it outside yeah. FOI. Is it a good thing now that it's all free to do that because, as, as the previous gentleman said, there's certain constraints and processes that have to go through with FOI. If they don't do that, and they say, well, we'll give you this stuff, then they are, aren't they treating it as a general query and can... Yes, basically. So now you... Um, it, 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 it depends. When you talk to FOI officers, if you're in reasonably regular content, you build up a, an understanding and a rapport of how they work. By and large, they're following their job, and they will do the law, and they will process the requests. They will actually be a bit more accommodating in some regards. Very, very few have they come across will basically take the organisation stance of no. Um, it is a bit of a risk, but it does, it's actually a lot quicker to deal with stuff outside of FOI. But again, 
you're then depending on the officer or the official to, to give you the information that you would be entitled under FOI. Be reasonable in your requests. Don't put in such a vast request that you know it's going to be A, impossible, or B, it will take so much time it'll be shot down as a voluminous request, then you're just wasting everyone's time. So be reasonably specific in what you're looking for. Don't be put off by initial refusal, uh, appeal. It does cost money to appeal, but it's often worth it. I'll come to that in a few minutes, a bit more detail about appealing. When the body receives an FOI request, they acknowledge it. They will say they've received your request, what day they received it, what day you can expect an answer on, and who's dealing with your requests. They would normally name an official. It's very well that they don't. They have 20 days to do that. Um, they have another 20 days to actually give you the information. They can extend that by another is it 20 or 40, another 20 days. And then if they say, well, you need to pay us money for photocopying or whatever, the clock stops then. So if they say, they send you an email or a letter saying, Grant, we think this is going to cost, it, it will take so many hours of, of research or so much photocopying, you have to pay us money, the clock stops then. It's not that often um, that you get an FOI response within the time limit, simply because generally the, the, the body's concerned, it seems to me that most of them are under pressure to try and deliver. Um, freedom of information may or may not be a priority within them. And you can, I often find it's easier to cut them some slack and say, Grant, listen, they make a say, listen, there's no way I can get this done in, in the time frame. Can you give me an extra two weeks, 10 days, whatever? And you chat to them and they say, yeah, okay, Grant. Now you can appeal straight to the Information Commission, but there's such a delay in the Information Commissioner. <laughs> it's, it's academic. You're far better off just dealing with the person on the ground and getting it through. They must assist. The FOI officer must assist you with your request. Uh, if it's too broad, if it's going to be shot down, they must say, well, how about we could look at this area? Is there anything in particular you're looking for? I've often got that. And um, Sometimes I, I know exactly what I'm looking for, and sometimes I don't. You can, of course, appeal to the information. If, if they come back with a, a, a cost um, to process your FOI request that you think is excessive, you can appeal that straight to the Information Commissioner. You don't have to lodge the 75 euro appeal fee to the information commission, you actually go straight to do that. But again, that again that takes huge time. When you get a response from um, the organisation, it'll have a covering letter. It'll say, dear whatever, I've looked at your FOI request, there are 10 documents, 5 documents, no documents that fall under your request. They're not obliged to, but usually they will give you a schedule of documents, which is basically a, a couple of pages listing all the documents, emails, reports, whatever, and the dates, and it will say whether it's release, part release, or refuse. Um, so it's always worth going through that. Even, even, if, if, even if a lot of that stuff is refused, you can still see a, a, a process that's underway. So you get to see dates, and as journalists keep an eye on the dates, and who knew what and when. Uh, because if, for example, a minister stands up and says, I didn't get this report until the 10th of May, there's an email there saying, received by the minister's office on the 7th of May, signed by the minister on the 8th of May. Do you know what I mean? Check the dates. Always, always, always check the dates. You will get raw data from this body. You are not going to be told, page four, second paragraph, that's the story, lads. You will just get a bundle of documents. It could be a very small bundle of documents. It could be a massive amount. What I've always done then is put it out in front of me and put it in chronological order. So then you know, okay, this is page one of this body's process. Um, and you do need to know what you're looking for. You do need to know something about the topic that you're interested in. So when you get the information, 
you know what you're looking for, you know the understanding, you've, you've Googled other uh, reports that have gone out about this issue or if there's been none, you've read up as much as you can, so you know something. So you, you don't have to, when you see this information that you actually know, what you can understand, you can understand stuff that's being said, you understand abbreviations and that kind of material. Put it in chronological order and read it. Make notes, read it again. And again, look at times, look at dates, look at names, look at offices. Who's got what, where and when. All that kind of stuff puts into play. And also, keep an eye out for no document existing. That sounds bizarre, but sometimes the fact that a document doesn't exist or a report doesn't exist is significant in its own right. If, if uh, there's a crisis of some proportion and you put an FOI request in to say, whatever body, say their IT system crashed and it caused havoc, and they actually, it turns out they've never had uh, an analysis of their IT security system. There's something that they've never looked at, that then can become a story. So not having information can sometimes generate a story as well as having the information. You'll often get redactions for names, addresses, personal details. When information is being refused to you, they must state the section of the act that's being refused. They can't just say, you're not getting it. They must tell you, under whatever section, you can look at that. Um, civil, uh, government departments are pretty poor at giving out information. The 2013 report of the Commissioner said only 48% of requested departments were released, 52% uh, in local authorities. I think it's very impressive, 73, 74% with the HSE. If you've been refused or if you've been part granted and you want to appeal, the best way to do it, you can actually just send in an email or a letter, because you're going to have to put money in, and say, I wish to appeal this decision. Full stop, end. That's not, you can do that. The, the FOI request is then taken by a more senior uh, officer in the, the body, and he or she will look at it and look at the, 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 the matter again. The best way to do it is to address each ground. If there's one, if they say this is not being released from because of section 19, because of section 23 and 28, whatever, is go to the, the, um, the Office of the Information Commissioner. They have a very good website now, and you can put in um, whatever section uh, they're being refused on, and you would then make <coughs> previous judgments in their case. And then you can say, right, this is a very similar case that this body decided on. This creditor quoted me the same section. The Commissioner said release. Commercial sensitivity, right? That's often a big thing. The commission has already decided commercial sensitivity doesn't matter in these cases because they're so old, right? So you quote that back to the body in your internal appeal. It does take a bit of time, but it's often worth it because then it shows to the appeal officer this person A is determined and B knows something about what they're talking about. So if shot down again, appeal against the information commissioner, again more money, it'll take a lot more time, and again try and back up your argument why something should be released with ideally case law. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it often proves the case that if you can back up this, this case was decided, you decided this should be released, here's another one, why should your decision be any different? Under the 2014 Act, um, it has extended, there were limitations put in the, 20, the 2003 Act, cabinet documents. Uh, it was a five-year limit, then as the, just as the, the, the government was due to they were in the second term between the PDs. Their first term documents were up for release. They decided, no, nah, I can't be doing that. So they kicked it out to 10 years. It's now back down to five years. So there's uh, cabinet release documents. Cabinet, now you can't find out what actually said a cabinet, but you can find out agendas. I've done that a few times. Some bizarre stuff comes up. Um, promoting guard officers, but stuff about plugs. 
It's just some bizarre stuff. Yeah, I never bothered finding out why it was at the cabinet. It could just be to sign and stamp off on something. It's just a matter of following the law. The Gardaí are now subject to FOI in an incredibly limited way. I've done a, a, it's a chapter for a new book on FOI, and I've done looked at it, basically law enforcement in Ireland and law enforcement in other countries in comparison to freedom of information. Needless to say, we're it is very limited. It's basically human resources, finance, and um, the third one, which I hear somewhere. Admin. Admin. Procurement. Yeah. Well, now, so, of course, that's from internal inside the guards. Right? So we can check. Now, the act of assignment law, the government have between six and 12 months to enact it. So um, the guards aren't subject to FOI yet. It'll be a while, but they'll have to be. So you'll be able to put an FOI request into the Phoenix Park and look for details about, say, the number of guard cars they've bought, procurement, etc., uh, etc. Et but always think of the back door. Always, always, always think, is this the only body that has this information? Uh, finance might have it. Justice might have it. The other thing to remember is uh, FOI is international. There are many, many countries with freedom of information. I don't know if you've um, foreign language skills. I don't, I say. But I have put FOI requests into the US and into the UK. Uh, with success into the State I put an FOI request into the State Department in the US and got the diplomatic chatter out of the embassy here. And in detail amongst that then was subsequent to a meeting with the guards, the American embassy listed the, the number of uh, Islamic extremist groups operating <coughs> in Ireland. Now it was two years old, it was the first time there was a list of, of Islamic um, cells operating in Ireland that they weren't they were basically operating as um, backup finance, principally. So that's, I did that story for Telly and went down like a lead balloon in the dog. It was raised the following day. And unsurprisingly, uh, Enda Kenny gave out about it when he was leader of the opposition. Uh, Bertie Hearn said it showed the danger. He was teaching it, the danger of releasing information. What danger? Like, it's just, uh, attitude is such a problem <coughs> in this country. And the other thing, just to mention, is be determined. An FOI request into the PSNI in the north, the murder of Pat Finucan by Lawless. There was uh, several reports. I went looking for one. There was two, three chapters released of the Stevens Inquiry. And it was a big volume of report. So I went looking for the rest. PSNI said, sod off. PSNI in appeal said, really sod off. <laughs> went to the Information Commissioner in London. It turned out, the Information Commissioner said, sawed off again. It turned out the information commissioner didn't even look, the information commissioner is supposed to get the documents uh, from the body, look at them and say, okay, yes, that's not subject to FOI. The PSNI said, you don't want to look at this. And the information commissioner said, actually, do you know what? You're right. I don't. Refuse. Um, so in Ireland, the only option after that would be to go to the High Court at considerable expense. Uh, but in England, it's different. There's uh, tribunals. It's, it's, it was called the First Tier Tribunal. I'm not sure, I think it's changed slightly now. It's basically a legal a court. Put up again, it's simply by going back to the UK Information Commissioner, getting the judgments, put that in. It took four years, and it boiled down to an argument over the phrase relates to. The PSNI said all this material relates to uh, MI5, and MI5 is outside of FOI, so it's gone. I argued it didn't. So the phrase relates to four years, I got a chapter. Out of how many? It was chapter four, I think it was. So there's uh, chapters one, two, I didn't get three, I got four. I don't know what the many are. There was nothing of substance in it. There was a story in it, but nothing of critical importance. 
So it just shows attitude is a big hurdling, big hurdle in a lot of bodies, and expect that's going to be the same with girls and Nana, the NTMA and all that. They are going to be so reluctant to give this information, they are reluctant brides at this wedding. And that's even more the reason that we should be putting FOI requests into them to get information out and to basically try and change their culture bit by bit by bit. You work for the people of Ireland. You know, you don't you work for your organization, your organization is part of the structure for the state of the people of Ireland. You work for the people of Ireland. Uh, not purely for your organisation, you need to think that. So, FOI is there, the 2014 Act is in place, largely not entirely for most places. Use it, it's a great source for journalists, you don't need to be pounding the beat. As a journalist point, from a journalist point of view, the only thing is, the difficulty is thinking, what's FOI, well, what stories can I get? Right, you get the documents, if you can then do stories, develop, news editors then, you know, that person, it's the second good FOI story that person's turned up. You know, that's not bad. You can, you can actually get stories relatively easily. There's a story in the Indo today from the HSE uh, about details, contacts with revenue, about uh, medical cards and stuff like that. No problem, the HSE gives it out. Revenue, I doubt, would. Um, but that's the attitude because the HSE actually, in fairness, have a very progressive attitude in relation to FOI, which unfortunately isn't mirrored. It's there, use it. It's a great source for journalists and it's a great way of making a name, particularly for journalists starting out. That's it, basically. If anyone's got questions, talk to me after or whatever. Probably too long, mm -hmm. um, just one, one point I'd like to make there is, um, it, again, the, the UK Act, which applies to Northern Ireland, so any information you want in Northern Ireland, and you don't have to be resident, you can ask no. for any, any public authority in the UK, um, you can ask for. And the, the one difference there is that every request in the UK, every request to any public authority, if you have sent a, a written request, if you ask them what the timetables of the buses are, it is, has to be treated as an FOI request. There's not so the, none of this thing of having to write to the head. There's nothing, you don't even have to specify the FOI Act, which I think is a major, it's a bit of a cultural thing that I think we should have in Ireland because it means that everybody is responsible for FOI. You can't sort of post, put it up to one person. It, it, it makes people more aware that every document, every record they have is, is, is part of the, the sort of public um, function, so they should do that, so I think that's... One yeah, it's, it's just one of the things, sorry, just one of the mention is that Pat Rabbit was on radio saying basically because of FOI you have to say a second secret diary. Sometimes <laughs> put an FOI request in so that no such story exists. I probably believe it did. Um, the question of is something FOI, but if I work in, I work for RT, which is subject in limited form to FOI, not my work personally as a journalist because if I did a story about the HSC, the HSC could log an FOI request in and see who I was talking to. That wouldn't be good. But if I work on my, on, uh, my home computer, is that FOIable? Well, yes is the answer. If it's about, the, if, if it relates to work of the body, if I'm uh, a secretary general in a government department and I'm working, if working on my phone, that's FOIable. Texts, obviously not personal texts, because they'd be uh, personal data, but work-related material, no matter where it is, is subject to FOI. So even if I'm working at home, I might think, if I bring this home, no one will see it won't be FOIable. Yes, it is, because it's actually it's the work that's FOIable, not exactly where it's done. It doesn't matter where it's done. I'm just wondering, Richard, uh, how do, do you feel about being asked to, to first go through the press office instead of FOI? I suppose with the press office there would be the, um, the idea that there might be a spin, whereas with the FOI request you're getting whatever, whatever is redacted, that is the information that was there. There's no, yeah. there's no opinion there, do you know what yeah. I mean? It's very rare that it has happened. Uh, would you not check with the press office? Mm. Uh, and I said no. Right. End of conversation. 
How because it's, 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 it's a, it, this is a legal process. Yeah. The press office, they don't want to answer. They make some number comments. I'm talking to him. Yeah. Whereas they have no option but to deal with an FOI mm -hmm. request. I'm just wondering, would you, would, would you go to the press office more often than you'd go to um, FOI? Hey, given the preamble, yes. Simply, it's looking for a comment on something. It's looking for a, a bit of this, a bit of that. You know what I mean? It's yes. not, because FOI takes time. Yes. And it's, it's really, once you have the idea, and no one else has got this idea that hasn't been the story done before, then you pursue that, but you have the time. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not suitable for uh, instant turnaround. It's not going to make so that it's something between six and nine years or morning Ireland. Do you know I mean? It, it, does, it, it needs time. Quite often, sorry, with organisations, uh, the FOI officer will work closely with the press office anyway. You'll, you'll have to tip them off that, that of you're sending out information so they'll usually know about that. In fact, in Aberdeen, I think the rule was that we weren't allowed to send out an answer after lunchtime Friday because the press, press office had to be ready for an inquiry. I believe, <laughs> I, I don't know for sure, um, but I do believe that the press officers meet and are advised of tricky-awkward-uncomfortable FOIs that are being dealt with or about to be released. I know in the UK there's a, the clearinghouse, which yeah. makes all of these dodgy requests that could cause problems for politics or whatever, they go through this clearinghouse where basically they're sort of analysed and political answers, I understand, are prepared if there is difficulty. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that FOI officers deal with press officers because then if when that story hits the, the front pages or the airwaves that there is a response drawn up and ready to go. There was an interesting one in, I think it was Shannon. Uh, this was back... Uh, there was an FY request in about the split above uh, the aviation, uh, the airport authorities. There was the stuff about Shannon was released, but what was interesting, and shouldn't have been there, there was actually a letter from the Sec General of the Department of Transport explaining why the Minister hasn't seen this report even though it landed in his office. Shouldn't have been in the, the FY request is, I'm looking for this report. I'm not looking for excuses, I want the report. The person got the report and the excuse. Um, I'm just going to say to this, this person that in my experience for people working on their own without colleagues in an office but are working on their own any time I've done an FOI and gone through the press office they've always said things like that's, that's information that's been out there they always come back very very negative don't do it, don't do it the FOI people have been neutral about that and so I've gone ahead every single time the press officer was wrong every yeah. single time they just they simply want to discourage you when I mean, you're on your own it's hard to say but I go ahead with it anyway and then it comes back and there's always good information there Press offices generally, not generally, that's unfair. A lot of the time are disingenuous. Um, I did have a, an issue with the HSE press office where there was a, a story from Drada Hospital. There was, there was issues surrounding that. The press statement said they related to the issue related to previous years. Now, this was in, in spring. And technically, the wording was absolutely spot on, but the previous years was the year before and the year before, as in just a couple of months ago. So... Press offices uh, are designed to deal with the press. Mm. FOI officers and offices are designed to deal with FOI. They actually have two kind of separate functions. Press offices will give you quick answers. FOI will not give you quick, but will give you information. The other thing that might lead you to be referred to someone else by FOI is if a document is already publicly available, it's not FOIable because it's already been published. You know, so stuff gets published in the Dáil Library and, and, and things like that. So basically it's, it's not an FOI officer's to, uh, job to teach you how to use Google. So that can be a reason why you're sent somewhere else. 
Can I make another point, by the way, which most people wouldn't know? It's a very geeky point, but it might be kind of useful, which is that if the information you're looking for is to do with the environment, mm -hmm. and very broadly interpreted, if you're asking for buildings, you can ask, instead of under FY, you can ask under the access to environmental information regulations, which A, there's no fee for, B, they, I don't think they can charge you for, for um, the cost of copying, um, and C, I don't think they can charge you for an appeal for, and it applies to any public body, not, not those which are specified. Um, I know Gavin, again, gets mentioned, uh, has been struggling with NAMA, to try, which cl tries to claim that although it's public and its body is not a public body, uh, it is obviously, but um, you, you always consider, you know, if you, I mean, you can, you can question the Garvishia corner about buildings, for instance, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, I dare say if somebody wanted to ask about Garda station closures, for instance, there must be an assessment, which they could always have asked for under the environmental information regulations. Don't forget that. It's a very useful little piece of information to have. And it's very broadly yeah. to do with the environment. It's actually part of the new act is that FOI officers must consider whether the request can be granted under a reuse of public information, which is not huge, but under AIE. And AIE is crucial. The Irish version of AIE, in the, in the real Irish version, is as, as, as limited uh, and as limiting as they could possibly get away with. It's actually part of the Irish Act says if this information if this information would not be released under FOI, it should not be released under AIE. Which is baloney. They're very slow to bring that in and it's almost certainly a contradiction of the European regulations. The only reason it's there is because of Europe. Yeah. Um, um, again, there's, there's been Peter Tindall, who's the Freedom of Information um, Commissioner. He's also the Environmental Commissioner. They're legally separate, but it's the same thing. AIE is really, really, really underused. And as a result, state bodies know really, really, really not much about it and how to deal with it. It really is something well worth looking at for. It's on the Department of the Environment website. If you just put in access to information in the environment, you will get the Irish version and you'll get the original European version, and you can see how they will compare and contrast. It really is well worth There are restrictions put on what is environmental information Tyndall has looked at a case and he's now reluctantly accepted that uh, cars uh, and expenses paid is environmental information but he said he he's accepted that reluctantly um, the UK version is a lot stronger, a lot more open and a lot freer um, I'm sorry I don't, don't mean to thank you, I don't need to derail the discussion but if, it, if we just go back to press officers for a moment, the NUJ represents a lot of press officers can't let the tone of the <laughs> reference to press officers go unchallenged. Our, our press officers abide by the NUJ code of, com uh, code of conduct. My own experience as a public relations consultant, I used to help out in the press office of um, a local authority once every six weeks for a period when they were in some difficulty. And I have to say I was appalled, there is no other word for it, for the rudeness of some of our colleagues whose names are nationally known, and especially on Saturday afternoons when Sunday papers, which had been working through the week on very tendentious stories, maybe our members too, um, tried to either stand them up or bully a press officer into making a statement which would serve the interest of the story. I found that, I found that very, very saddening. So I just, just want to say something to balance the criticism of press officers to be made here. there's any criticism, it's just, that's, well, certainly that's my experience. You're right that there's absolutely no reason to be rude or discourteous. 
And it does, you actually engage, you find you talk to the same person, deal with FOI request, you end up talking to the person. And you will find this person will actually suggest to you something else you might su suggest looking for. Because they actually develop a rapport, they know you're not able to shaft them, that they're doing their job, you're doing your job, they know what they have to do. And they will actually say, well, and they might discuss it and have had this person. Where I got stuff about a document, I went back to the phone to try to clarify that and engage in the conversation. And the story actually went a completely different way because the person actually talked to me was very open and honest and said, this is information, but you know there's a wider picture in this. Don't just look at this, there is a wider picture. And you get a broader picture simply by dealing with the person as a human. There's no reason, never is there a reason to be rude with anyone, I can say. Unless they're rude to you, of course. <laughs> Any more questions? Um, I think I'd just like to, to thank the three students. I did um, a master's in journalism, and this was something I was interested in, but we only really got very basic knowledge. And this was so. It's really not difficult. It, trust me, if journalists can do it, it ain't difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a great way to get a reputation, because if editors <coughs> you turn up to stories of your own bat, it's not difficult. It's just the only limit is your imagination of what's been, and don't assume somebody else, some other journalist, a well-paid journalist in some national broadcaster or some national newspaper has already done it. They may not. That's a great way to make a name, great way to get the stories and get the reputation. There's a very good directory in the, it's the UK, but still might give you some ideas called foidirectory.co.uk. But what do you know, what do they know, yeah. where anybody can write in in the UK and ask, and it just sends off the, yeah. the request have a look there, it's interesting what questions people ask, what information they get. And the, the FOI directory is particularly good because it's run by a journalist and he puts up regular sort of stories there which you might get some ideas from. Uh, keep an eye on the story.ie as well, which is a website Gavin Sheridan runs. And Richard wrote a book which is called... Secrets of the Station, how to get them. <laughs> he literally wrote the book on FOI. <laughs> there is, a, there is uh, uh, what was it, a professional one, there is a legal one, uh, done by Maeve McDonough in the ECC, yeah. who's probably the leading expert in Ireland on FOI, but it costs, it's a, it's a, it's a university third level book, so it costs a lot more. Uh, Richard, would you tell us uh, something uh, you've got from FOI that people wouldn't realise you can get through it? Just, just something, any, does anything stick out that you, you were delighted that you were able to get that you wouldn't have expected? Uh, I, was, I was bowled over when I got the stuff from the Americans. This would be this uh, Detail 7, uh, Islamic extremist groups operating in Ireland. I couldn't believe it. Um, genuinely, because yeah. it didn't come, it's, it was just sheets and sheets and sheets and sheets and sheets of paper. You're just reading, and you're going through, okay, what is this? It, they're all abbreviations mm -hmm. and stuff like that. What does this one mean? What does that one mean? And then you see this page, and this, it just comes up, and you kind of go, you're looking at it, kind of go, what? <laughs> Interesting, you know, that came directly from the States. Um, the second part of that request came via the embassy in Bald Bridge, where presumably it was sanitized before release. Mm -hmm. So it was obviously after that release came out. Will an, uh, an information officer help you kind of contextualize any information that you get if you can't really understand? If, if you got They're not obliged to, but find the often will. Because in their, you know, it's in the organisation's interest if you see this and this document alone means bloody hell they knew nothing about this. When in actual fact is there's a whole range of documents. Uh, they will often put things. Yeah, well actually, no, it's not quite that simple. Or if they can't or won't because it's not their remit, the press office uh, goes to the press office and they say, I have this document, FOI. This seems to show that you knew nothing about this. 
press officer will go away and actually say, well, actually, no, these documents related to blah, blah, blah. We can give you them, or you can FOI them, but put the whole thing in context. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you folks. Thank you very much.